Clear prop. Star 73 is Cherokee, number two, following twin traffic, three mile final. There's something One trailer Bravo, Rakesford in runway 25, going uh, four mile final. This is Behind the Prop with United Flight Systems owner and licensed pilot Bobby Doss and his co host, major airline captain and designated pilot examiner Wally Mulhern. Now, let's go Behind the Prop. What's up, Wally? Hey, Bobby, how are you? I am fantastic as always. This week, we're taking on a topic that I'm sure everyone has practiced at some level, but I'm also pretty sure not everyone has practiced enough, and that's engine failures. We've yeah. done a lot of shows on in, on emergencies and other things. We've talked a little bit about this, but you as a DP who has been in the plane for a lot of simulated engine failures, thought it was worth the time to talk about it one more time. Yeah, I did. I was actually talking to, to an instructor yesterday. Actually, I was... I was uh, watching the instructor debrief, debrief a student, and uh, he said to the student, he said, what, what's our number one goal today when we go and fly the airplane? And uh, what, what he finally got to is our number one goal is to not die, okay? So, uh, you know, after that, we want to have a good time, we want to be productive and all that good stuff, but, you know, ultimately, we don't want to die. And, uh, you know, probably the mother of all um, systems failures that we can have in an airplane, short of a wing falling off where there's absolutely really nothing we can do about it, or the tail coming off. Um, but, but the biggie is, is an engine failure. And uh, we just compared notes. We compared the, uh, the private pilot ACS with the commercial pilot ACS and under emergency operations, there's an emergency approach and landing simulated and that's for um, single engine airplanes. And it is verbatim the same for a private pilot as it is for a commercial pilot. Um, I would venture to say that most people as they're uh, going through their flight training, they're, they're working on their private pilot uh, certificate you know, they're going to work on this. Their instructor is going to say, okay, engine failure, what are we going to do? And they're going to go through their procedure and, and line up with a, a field or a road, or if you're lucky, an airport. And, um, you know, you're going to go around out of it and, and that's going to be the end of it. And, you know, you'll do that over and over and over again until your instructor feels that you're competent and you'll be evaluated on your private pilot check ride with this. And, um, I would just I would challenge all the listeners out there to say how many of you after you got your private pilot certificate would go out and practice this. Say okay, I'm at I'm at um, maybe maybe 4,500 feet, and I'm going to say a thousand feet above the ground is is as low as I'm going to go. But um, boom, I just lost an engine. What am I going to do? Well, Wally, I practiced it a lot after my private, but it was right before my commercial check ride. Right, right, right. Yeah, and so we, you know, we go on to the commercial and we do it there, and then uh, we kind of forget about it. And then maybe if you go on to getting get a CFI, hopefully you practiced it. Um, you know, working towards your CFI um, because it again, it is it's it's the biggie. It, this is the uh, you know this is the Super Bowl of emergencies. It really is. And um, I can remember being a young private student and remembering that 
if the engine quit, I knew we were going to start descending, right? You just right. you pick up on a few things, uh, the principles of flight. And if the prop stops spinning, you're going to have to land somewhere. And I can remember coming back into Hooks one time, and I said, well, how much distance do you need? Like you say, you say find a field, and I'm saying, how big does that field have to be? Is what I'm thinking in my head, right? Right. And so – we uh, ultimately uh, were just north of the field, and we were right over Tomball High School. For those in the local area will know what that is, but just picture a football field with the high school logo in the middle of it. And he goes, I think I could get us landed and stopped sideways on that field. It might hurt, but we're going to be okay. Yeah. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, we have this 7,000-foot runway we've been landing on, and you're going to land hundred and 50, maybe 180 feet with maybe the sidelines there. Right. It's not that much room. Right. Now, being a little bit smarter and knowledgeable, that's a soft, short, rough landing probably, but it's doable for sure. One, I, I used to be a partner in a Bonanza several years ago, and one of my partners was very fond of saying um, – we we would talk about well what if we had an engine failure because our the engine that we had in the airplane was getting towards its um, end of its uh, life or or getting close to TBO and we were trying to decide how we wanted to handle the engine anyway um, and, and Tom used to always say he says well first of all I'm not going to fly this airplane in any kind of weather and I'm not going to fly it at night he says I, I I feel confident that the way I fly this airplane that I will be able to land it anywhere he said now it might ruin my day but it's not going to kill me i may go home and say boy that was a today was a bad day but i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna live through it and you know i think that's the uh, just using your example it may hurt but yeah you could you could put the airplane down so let's break an engine failure into three parts today for the show we're going to talk a little bit about the engine failure uh, or the mock engine failure on a check ride and some tips and tricks maybe from Wally and some thoughts about what you might should be thinking about or doing. And, and that really will account for both private and commercial. The ACSs are identical. Then we're going to talk a little bit about what what's going to happen differently when it really does happen. Um, not too long ago, I heard a, a gentleman around the fly school say, it's not a matter of if you're going to have an engine failure in a GA aircraft if you put more than a thousand hours in one it's when you're going to have an engine failure in a ga aircraft so if that's really the case what's going to change for all of us when it does really happen because it it can't be as calm as a simulated one for sure and then we'll talk about some troubleshooting tips that may help you before it happens uh, before the engine really completely fails and talk through a few scenarios that we've seen in, in the flight school world and that wally has experienced in his real life that has Made an engine, we'll, we'll say sputter, uh, give out a little bit, but not completely quit and cause for a, an emergency landing all the way. So with that, before we start, lots of stuff on social media uh, and whatnot. And recently I saw a meme. You've probably seen this meme before. And it's like, did you do this when you were a private student? And it's a picture of this big, big field, big, big big general field area. And there's a white circle around this beautiful green pasture and it says my dpe asked me to find a good place to land 
and it's this field, which we would all say is great, but there's a 7,000-foot runway <laughs> diagonally across just short of that field, right? Yeah. We are all so well taught in the check ride to find a field. I can remember my my instructor saying, why not land in Navasota? It's 1,000 feet below us. Right. And I'm like, ah, oh, shucks, you got me again. We do it again. He goes, why not land in the Soaring Club? They have a really nice grass runway right over there about a mile away. Yeah. It's it's hard when you're learning to keep up with yeah. all that stuff. But how many times do they pick a field when they could have picked an airport with you, Wally? It, it happens quite a bit. There's uh, one of the airports I fly out of um, uh, northeast to here, Cleveland, Texas. There's a, um, an airport community, Lake Waterwheel, that's just northeast of there. And and I love to give uh, engine failures over Lake Waterwheel. Now, granted, I mean, I, I spend a lot of time in airplanes looking out the window. So, I mean, I, I look at all the nice pools down there. I go, wow, that's that's a really nice pool. And, wow, that that, that there are actually houses around here that have two pools. I don't wow. know if anybody knew that. But uh, when you spend time looking out, out the window, you know, they'll, they'll have a lap pool and a play pool. But anyway, that's um, I'm digressing here. But, you know, in, in defense of the student or the applicant, um, I do have I do spend a lot of time looking out the window, so I learn what things look like, and I I know that hey, they're soaring Club of Houston. I mean, it's a grass runway. Unless you're really on top of your game, you it sometimes it's hard to recognize that that really is a runway, a grass runway. This Lake Waterwheel has a grass runway, and it, it's a little bit more obvious because uh, all the houses have hangars, and it, it looks like. It looks like a bunch of hangars. It looks like an airport with just a bunch of grass in the middle rather than a, an asphalt runway. So, um, um, but yeah, there, there are, there are um, you know, and, and again, depending on your altitude, you, you may not have a whole lot of um, time to, uh, you know, to, to come up with different options. Uh, you may pick the, the thing that's straight ahead and, um, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, yeah, maybe to the right was a better option. But um, I, I get that, and and that that will come with experience just by looking out the window. I think we told a story a long, long time ago. There's there's a lot of big roads around here, and a lot of big roads have to be built. So I think it was twenty something miles of seven lane freeway that hadn't opened up yet, and your student wanted to land in the field instead of the, or your applicant wanted to land in the field instead of the seven lanes of freeway there yeah uh, i think i would have picked the freeway and yeah i just got back from a long road trip to florida and somebody said did you know eisenhower made the the road people build a straight mile every five miles that was part of the interstate system and it was so the planes could land i did not know that uh, i wow. had heard that a long long time ago but if you're on in the u.s and you drive for five miles on the interstate one of those miles is a exact straight line so that they could land airplanes on them if they needed to wow and then for those of you who don't know a mile is 5,280 feet so that's a nice 5,000 foot runway yeah yeah with hopefully no cars on it you right. wouldn't want to land on the cars so right. let's go through the check ride scenario Wally you, you know the students nervous you know the CFI's probably done this 20 plus times you know I, I jokingly say that to, for people that aren't pilots yet, the engine failure on a check ride is similar to parallel parking for driver's license tests, right? Yeah, like, yeah that's a kind good of analogy. The, it's kind of like that one big thing that yeah. we, we over-practice. In, yeah. the, in the real world, we hope we never have to parallel park ever again. Right. 
when we do, none of us remember how to do it, right? But on the check ride, it's that one big thing, right? Yeah. So we we we've practiced, we've practiced, we've practiced, and we've moved those cones closer and closer together when we're drivers. We we try to pick a harder, harder place when we're practicing with our CFI. Now they're with you. Obviously, the ACS is the expectations, but what are you really looking for in the performance of that applicant? Well, what I'm looking for is that they they set up the airplane in a situation to where we believe, or I believe, that they could put it down in a uh, in an area and and basically live through it. Um, you know, the 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 ACS has uh, uh, you know. Uh, some some elements that you can look at um uh you know establish maintain best glide speed um but i i guess you know if you're sitting at your house and it's you got a bunch of friends over and it's you're you're having a super bowl party and it's five minutes before kickoff and all of a sudden your tv shuts down probably your first thought is to push the power button on the TV or on the remote and start it back up. Okay. So that's, that's what we're trying to do in an engine failure. If the engine fails, we want to start it up again. If you're driving down the interstate and your engine fails in your car, what do you do? You reach down to your key and you, you start it up. Um, probably hasn't happened to most of us in a long time with, with nice modern cars. But that's, you know, once we, we determine that we have had an engine failure, you know, um, mo- most, you know, most of you are going to have a, the, there's going to be a procedure in the, the POH. And in most of them, most of the small airplanes we fly, the first thing we'll say, will establish your best glide speed. And uh, so probably around 65 knots, something like that. And at some point, pick a place to land. And again, this is a function of altitude. If I'm at 8,000 feet above the ground, I know I've, I've got over 10 minutes. If I'm at 1,200 feet, I got a little over a minute, 90 seconds maybe. So, um, you know, at 8,000 feet, I'm going to be much more inclined to try to get that engine restarted. And there's there's two elements to getting the engine restarted the first one is fuel um you know probably somewhere on there is something about a fuel selector probably something about a mixture control probably something about uh carburetor heat probably something about um, maybe a primer in and locked if you you're an airplane that has one or you know you could say if you're in an airplane that has a carburetor heat but all those have to do with fuel well, and so, so to that point, you know, CFIs that are out there listening, students that are out there listening, I really wish my, of course, it seems obvious, but I wish my instructor would have taught me more of that than the procedure, right? Because right. I think knowing that now that I fly a bunch of different airplanes and I'm in different planes, fuel pump, yes, some fuel pumps, some planes don't have fuel pumps, but if I... Now that I have 500 hours, of course I'm thinking fuel, 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 fuel. Yeah. And I do a podcast with you who says that a lot. But, I mean, I, I, if the engine were to stutter, 
I would think fuel. I'd look, my eyes would jump to fuel flow. Right. My eyes would f- jump to fuel pressure. I would be thinking carb heat first. I'd be thinking fuel switches, whatever those are, on-offs, left-rights, whatever those might be, fuel pumps. I'd, I'd hit everything fuel and probably hit everything fuel twice right. before I moved on. I, I do think sometimes we, in the learning environment, we get caught up in this is the procedure. This is the ACS. Nowhere on the ACS does it say check all fuel items first. Right. Or is that a disservice to what the greater good is? I don't think so because we're driven by checklists. But at the same time, having a deeper understanding of why the checklist is ordered the way it's ordered, I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. And so once once you've you've done all your fuel things, well, after that – it's spark you know we need three elements to to uh to start a fire you need spark you need fuel and you need air and uh, we at this point we really can't do anything about the air but you can do something about the spark and that's make sure you did not hit that magneto switch and uh turn them off make sure you didn't shut the engine down using the key which i guess could happen i've never seen it but um you know that that's a possibility so after you you try all this, you know, again, it's a function of, well, how high up am I? If I'm now at 6,000 feet and I still have uh, eight minutes before I'm going to land, um, uh, you know, maybe if you're in a Cessna, maybe if you've got the fuel selector on both, man, I would, I would move it to left or right. Maybe you've got water in the fuel, and maybe that water is just in the right tank. So maybe going to the left, I, I would, I would do something differently. You know, there's an old saying that says the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. If the engine's not running, and I, you know, I, I can't make it any worse, so I'm I'm going to move that fuel selector to left or right. But um, again, so. We, we've, we've determined that we've got the fuel, we've got the spark. Now what? Well, if the engine does not quit at this point, um, you know, I think most of us have watched a, a TV show or a movie where, where police were involved. I mean, what is the first thing uh, that, that police do or, or military does if they're in a real bad situation? They're, they're out somewhere and, and bad guys are shooting at them. They they call for backup, all right. So uh, they scream for backup. Yeah, they do. So at this point, let people know that you've got a problem, and and we have multiple ways of doing that. The probably the easiest is to squawk seventy seven hundred, because you're going to light up every radar screen that's got you and in in range, and and you know. Uh, it's it's a generic emergency code, but they're going to know somebody's out there having having a tough time. If you're already on with ATC, just pick up the mic and tell ATC what is going on. And again, if you if you're not on with ATC, if you're maybe out um, just tootling around by yourself in a practice area doing some maneuvers, go to 121.5. I would venture to say that a lot of people listening to this podcast either have a Garmin 530 or a Garmin 430. Um, if you hold the 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 button that that moves your standby frequency to the active frequency, if you just push that button and hold it for about three seconds, 121.5 will automatically appear in the active frequency. So 
you can you can be dummy proof at this point. You don't even have to remember one twenty one five. And and I've seen many people say one twenty one five, and they put in one twenty one oh five, or they put went in one twenty two five two. So you know, in in the the moment of stress, the performance usually goes down a little bit. So uh, just hold that button for about three seconds. And if you've never done it, and you've got a four thirty or five thirty, I I would say next time you fly, just just play with that. So they do that. They've lined up, hopefully with the wind. They're thinking about configuring the plane for landing. Then you, you get to a thousand feet. I guess you tell them, did a good job. We'll fly around there, right? Yeah. If we trans- start transitioning to what happens in the real world, I know you would never do this in a in a, in a scenario for a check ride. But if they're at a thousand feet, what would you expect someone to do? And I always go back to it sounds silly, maybe even cliche, but it's aviate, navigate, communicate, right? I yeah. Mean, I think we gotta gotta be in control of the aircraft. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. We don't want to be low and slow. Um, we gotta navigate, so we gotta find that place to land. But we're probably not doing a bunch of fuel switching and all that. It, at 800 feet, we, we're down to not much time. Right. Um, and probably not many options. So right. 8,000 feet, we got 50 fields to choose from and probably two airports we're not looking at right there. Mm-hmm. The 800 feet, we're probably got two two bush, two bush big bushes of trees yeah. and maybe one good spot to land and maybe a road with some power lines. Like yeah. we're, we're running out of options. Yeah. So I got to navigate. And then... If I have time, I gotta call for help. I gotta scream for help. I gotta let somebody know. Yeah, I'm going down. Um, yeah, I'm squawking 1200 somewhere here to the west. Help me. Yeah, bye. Yeah, um, that's about all you got time to do. Yeah, and and most airplanes will have a uh, a procedure for um, landing without power. And uh, in this case, uh, you know, you've you've tried to restart the engine. It didn't work. And usually these checklists, the um, landing without power, whatever it might be called for your particular airplane, uh, the the philosophy now is it's not working, so let's shut everything off. Let's shut the fuel off. Let's bring the mixture back to cut off. Let's um, uh, open the door. And, and, yeah, crack the door because it's possible that we could land and and damage the the actual fuselage so that the door is jammed shut and that that would be a bad that could be a bad situation especially if a fire were involved so um one thing you have to remember is you know probably one of the last steps in that procedure is to turn the master switch off and if you're in an airplane that has electric flaps you got to remember to not turn that master switch off until the flaps are down. It doesn't really say it. Now it's in sequence. It is in that sequence. But, uh, you know, if you're in a piper, that's one thing. You could shut the master switch off and still use the flaps. And then that brings to the question is, do we want to land with full flaps? What, what do we want to land with? Well, the, the, the example I use, we're, we're in Houston, Texas, and, uh, you know, one of our star pitchers is Justin Verlander and I say to people I said okay if if you had to stand at home plate and 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 be hit with a a pitch would you rather be hit with a pitch from Justin Verlander or would you rather be hit with a pitch from me and they everybody always picks me and I say I say why do you pick me and they said well it will hurt less because he can probably throw that 
football a lot faster than you. And I go, exactly right. And that's exactly the same philosophy with landing with full flaps. We're going to land in an, on an unimproved, we're probably going to land in a field that's probably going to be soft. Ch- the chances of the airplane flipping over are are more so than our normal day of touch and goes out, out at the nice uh, paved runway. So you want to be going slow. Um, dispense, there, there's less energy to dispense. It's just going to hurt less. Touching down at 35 knots uh, going to be a lot better than touching down at 80 knots. No doubt about that. Those people don't know that you pitched in college and probably pitched harder than him. I'm not just yeah. kidding. Yeah. You're going to throw one out of the window of a moving jet. Um, it's going to hurt. But the uh, all those things are, are the reality of, of what's going to happen in the real world if it happens. I guess – what I would what I would be most concerned about is my emotions. Like, how am I handling my emotions? Right? There's really no way. No matter how much we talk about creating some stress and anxiety, there's no way to create enough of that. If you watch anything on YouTube, watch a couple people that are GoProing themselves. Their breathing changes drastically. Right? Yeah. They go from humdrum, good old day to <sighs> yeah. you know they 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 are panicking. There's some real stuff and and. I don't know where I've heard this saying, but we're only going to be the best that we can be to what we've practiced. Right. And so if you don't practice, if you haven't practiced recently, you're not going to be any better than that best last practice run that you had for sure. Right. Right. I I took off one time in my 172. I was out just going to fly around and um, I took off and at about probably 800 feet, um, uh, the engine coughed and sputtered. Uh, never quite quit, but um, I just I just went into ultra. Oh my gosh, I got to turn this thing around, and I was able to turn it around. I was at an uncontrolled airport, and um, winds were calm-ish, um, maybe you know probably less than five knots. But I came in and landed. Um, Went to the end the runway and uh, did a run up, did another run up, did another run up, did a high speed taxi down the runway two or three times, and uh, really was scratching my head as to what happened. And the only thing that I thought that could have happened, and I, I, I did not take care of this in the air, but I thought about on the ground that it could have been carburetor ice. Mm. Um, it was. Uh, conditions were right for it. It was um, probably around 48 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, nice humid Houston yeah, day. Yeah, Houston, humid Houston day. And uh, so I went ahead and I I took off in the airplane and uh, orbited around the airport, stayed real close, and uh, never had another issue. But um, uh, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I wish I would have gotten that carburetor each switch on, and because uh, I it that didn't even occur to me. All that occurred to me was turn around and land. So while it was a successful outcome, I mean, there's an example of of a fairly experienced uh, pilot not really doing the procedure the way I should have done it. 
Well, we, we'll just assume you were close to the ground and didn't have a lot of time to do those procedures. There you go. There you go. But that's a good segue into the last part of really let's troubleshoot it before it happens, right? If we if we know we need to think, again, there's an ACS for the check rides. There's checklists for a reason. We're talking some real-world things here that you might want to think about and learn. How would I troubleshoot those things? And if we know we need fuel and we know we need spark, we know we need air – we got to assume if we're in the in a plane moving forward, we're getting some air intake. So that's off the list. And we're going to look at those fuel items first. We talked through it. Um, carb ice is probably one that might sneak up and bite people, just like you said. I think um, a fuel switch getting kicked is very realistic, I think, in a Cessna. Um, yeah. Passengers getting in, someone climbing over. It could it could easily be forgotten, right? We fly all the time. I've heard horror stories of these people that turned it to off, or if some of them have it off, both left, right, off. And there's enough fuel in those fuel lines to probably move a pretty good distance, right? Maybe yeah. even get airborne. Yeah. Um, we got to make sure we follow the pre-flight checklist of the ground stuff. Yeah. Make sure those things get on. Same thing with the fuels on-off switch. We wouldn't yeah. want to charge those lines and then turn that off yeah one Um, thing i would i would talk to our listeners about is that you know in a piper where where you're on left or right um sometimes on the before takeoff checklist it will say fuel fullest tank and uh i'm never going to switch the fuel switch out at the end of the runway um, if, if I've got 10 gallons left, less in the left side, which I have a Saratoga that has, uh, 51 gallons on each side. Um, if, if I plan to take off on the right tank and I get out there and I realize I'm on the left tank and I have a little bit less than the left tank, I'm just, I'm just going to leave it. I'm going to take off in that, uh, configuration and I'm going to switch once I get uh, in the air and get a little, get a little bit of air. Um, just because, you know, when you switch from tank to tank, um, you're going to have some fuel in the lines. And I don't know how much is in there, but probably enough to get you down the runway and get you about 100 feet. Yeah, yeah. you wouldn't want that to be air coming from that new tank or something right. else. Right. Um, that, that would give you enough to maybe get airborne and then you'd have a really bad situation. We just had a uh, no uh, NTSB reports out yet, but a, a twin engine plane took off from one of the big airports and it made a real quick emergency landing and it was uh i think the first examination says might have had jet fuel instead of avgas well that plane won't run on jet fuel but will run on avgas so whatever was in the lines or whatever came out of those tanks for a while was enough to get them about 500 feet in the air yeah but you don't want to be in a twin 500 feet in the air when both engines quit right sure so uh real world true time case study that says we could have the right fuel in those lines for enough to get to 500 feet and then no moss right and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about that for sure right. um and we really didn't talk fuel contamination but another one make sure you sump your tanks right if you don't sump your tanks you could put yourself in a world of hurt yeah I, there's no way i'm going to get fuel in an a in a ga aircraft if i can watch i'm going to watch if i can't watch i'm going to sump if they come back and put more fuel in it when I wasn't watching, I'm something again. Yeah. There's just no way I'm going to fly that plane. Yeah, and I think a really good example is is a lot of, especially this time of year, you're maybe walking out to the airplane, you got a, a plastic water bottle in your hand, 
Um, you know, when you get to that water bottle down where you got just a couple ounces of water in there, and then you reach up and you sump that, uh, you know, or, or reach down and sump the tank, um, take that fuel and pour it in the water bottle and shake it up and watch how quickly that, um, that water separates. It takes about just a few seconds and that, that water will separate. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I had someone tell me recently, uh, you know, they, they, we just fueled and, and I asked them if they were going to sump and he says, Oh no, the airplane's been flying all day. And, um, I said, yeah, but we, we just fueled. How do we know if we didn't just get 30 gallons of water? Yeah. And, uh, fuel trucks have issues as well, right? Yeah. It's not all perfect. Yeah. Uh, it might not be jet a, but it might be water. Could yeah. Be something else. And jet a will separate just as well. I mean, it, there's a very distinct difference. That's why our, you know, our app gas is blue and tint and jet a is kind of a more of more of a yellow. Good stuff. Other things we might do to troubleshoot the fuel system, obviously check to make sure the primer's in. Um, recently heard of a primer getting back to our flight line and not being locked in. That's a, that's a very, very possible dangerous situation if that backs out a little bit more. The engine will run very rough and probably scare a lot of people, and we got to make sure we slowly put that thing back in if that was the case in flight. Right. Um, we talked fuel switches. We talked carb heat. Um, if we exhaust everything that's fuel related and we didn't let it really starve of fuel, we didn't run out of fuel, then it's the electrical stuff. Um, magnetos are obvious. Lots of times, uh, that I, I've been around a lot of GA aircraft the last eight years, six years now. Um, a magneto can feel like an engine's about to stop. If you lose a magneto at 2,300 RPMs, yeah. it can be pretty violent. Lose a cylinder at 2,300 RPMs would feel real violent. Yes. And the thing I the thing I think about is students soloing and how are they going to react and what are they, you know, what are you really prepared for at 15, 20 hours? Um, the one thing I when I have the chance to talk about it, the question is, we want to aviate first, and we talk about it all the time. But the practicality of aviating to me in that case is, are you generating enough thrust to maintain altitude? Because if you're doing that, that to me changes the whole ball game of what my decision is going to be. I'm not maybe going to drive it into the, some power lines at the end of a good-looking field because I got a rough-running engine. If I can maintain altitude, right? Um, and I, I, I don't know if I'll have the wherewithal, Wally, when it happens to me if I lose a cylinder. But I, I want to say I'm going to try to adjust the throttle to a point where it's not as rough as it is at its roughest, but if I can maintain altitude to some other power setting, I'm not just going to down it in a field somewhere, right? Right. If that is the case, then I'm going to go through everything else we've been talking about, right? If I can maintain altitude, I'm going to pitch for 65. I'm going to maintain better altitude, you would hope and think. Right. Um, and then I'm going to give myself some buffer there, and then I'm going to go through the rest of my stuff. But uh, th- there's a few situations where you might have a really unbalanced engine and it feel like the world's coming to an end, yeah. but it's not going to necessarily fall apart. And you, you, if you can get through that first moment of fear, I think it's interesting, uh, the options that do present themselves to you at that point. Yeah. Uh, then uh, at that point you've troubleshot all that stuff. I know most planes checklists have a restart the engine. They'll try if, if it's gone completely, 
completely stopped. It's not windmilling anymore. You can do some things to try to restart the engine. I remember playing or mimicking of doing that when I was on my check ride uh, before I made the landing at an airport. And uh, we we actually did a full landing, stop taxi back. It was a interesting experience and a, a good one, but uh, one that I had practiced a few times the day before. So I was ready for it. Uh, anything else to add to the troubleshooting part of that conversation that you might be able to do before the engine fails? I mean, we're talking no, anything. I, no, I don't, I don't think so. All right. So, uh, wasn't too long ago, I got a phone call from a friend of ours that said I end every show incorrect with my verb usage and my adjective usage. So, I'm not allowed to say fly safe today. I have to say fly safely today. So, as always... Stay behind the prop and fly safely. Thanks for checking out the Behind the Prop podcast. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out online at BehindTheProp.com. Behind the Prop is recorded in Houston, Texas. Creator and host is Bobby Doss. Co-host is Wally Mulhern. The show is for entertainment purposes only and is not meant to replace actual flight instruction. Thanks for listening and remember, fly safe. Fly safe.